Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 20 Nothing Podcast. I am your host, Kiara Blanchette. And if you haven't heard my voice in a while, that's because I've been terrible at being consistent with this podcast. And I haven't recorded an episode in a while. So I'm working on that. I really want to get on some sort of weekly or bi-weekly upload schedule and release episodes more regularly. It's something I'm working on. It's just been very busy and it's been a whirlwind. But this podcast is a priority of mine and so I want to make sure that we're on a regular schedule. So expect that. Today's episode, we have a very, very, very special guest. She is a writer, she is a journalist, a linguist, and a dear friend of mine. Her name is Amanda Montel. And she joined us today to talk some shit. We had an amazing chat. We talked about everything from sparkling water and if the queen wipes her own ass to feminist linguistics. So for those of you who don't know Amanda, she, like I said, is a writer, journalist, beauty writer, linguist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But she wrote a book called Word Slut, A Feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language that was released in August, I believe, of this year. And the book was amazing. I read it so quickly. It's so easy to get through. And it talks about the history of language and the history of gendered language and feminism. Well, not the history of feminism, but how language fits into feminism and just about how you know, men and women use language differently, um, how we use language to insult people, the way that insults and slurs and gendered language has evolved over the years, all sorts of things. So yeah, we talked a little bit about that in our interview today. And so you're going to hear a little bit of that. But yeah, without further ado, let's get right into this episode with Amanda. all began this is how my story all began oh my gosh yeah two years ago (laughs) two years ago yeah what a whirlwind shit truly but yeah now I have I have your book your book here yay I have my book too somewhere oh my god I read it I loved it it was great thanks thank you um I'm kind of nervous because I'm speaking on a panel at the Brooklyn Book book festival this weekend mm. about the topics discussed in word slut but i'm so deep in cult book research right now oh yeah I'm afraid i'm not gonna remember anything so i'm just gonna have to like reread my book oh my gosh yeah i mean that works everything my God. well thank you for coming on the podcast that's like yeah that was a vibe i was like i need amanda on the podcast thanks um i'm thrilled yeah, amazing. So I want to talk all things word slut and also some other things. Great. All we kinds of things. We can talk about poop. We can talk <laughs> about books. It's all on the table. Speaking of poop, do you think the queen like wipes her own ass? She surely has a bidet, no? True. Like, and then, and then you just do one quick wipe and you're good. Actually, I just moved. And I made my boyfriend as- install one of those tushy bidets. Mm, yeah. It's a game changer. Listen, we have like a whole tricked out toilet. We've got a tushy. We've got the squatty potty. Like, 
you know, we like to defecate in style here. In yeah. Oh my God. I really want one of those tissues because yeah. it just like clips on to your, your toilet. Sure does. Yeah. Wow. A game changer. Really a game changer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm glad we're starting this way. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. So what have you been up to lately? Well, I just moved, as I mentioned. Oh. I just called a bidet. So that's mostly it. Um, no, I, so, um, basically my career has kind of streamlined ever since I've quit my full-time job as an editor at Who, What, Where, which was my goal all along. So I'm thrilled that it's finally happening because while I was balancing working full-time at Who, What, Where, doing press for my first book, putting together the pitch materials for my second book Mm -hmm. and pitch materials for a TV show based on my first book um, and putting like a bunch of other ducks in a row and working on this massive fundraiser for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Like that was, you know, what constituted four months out of this year, most of my spring and summer. And it was just too much. So I was looking forward to when I could transition to being, you know, a freelancer. So now I um, have left my full-time job. They were so gracious. It, you know, left on great terms. But now I basically have like a three-pronged writer's lifestyle where I'm, you know, in the beginning of state stages of writing my second book, Mindfuck, The Secret Language of Cults. Spoiler, you're already using it. Um, long title, but, you know, there you go. And um, so I'm... I like just finished the first draft of my first chapter. Um, I'm, you know, constantly like listening to podcasts that have to do with cults and pyramid schemes and the like, Um, was just listening to one in the car, that pyramid scheme podcast called The Dream, which is like, I don't know, it was recommended to me. There, there are just like, there's so much cult content out there. You just like grace the service of it. But um yeah, so consuming a lot of cult content, doing a lot of research, conducting a lot of interviews like you. You're the interview queen. You know how it can be. Oh, my God. And I'm considering I'm probably going to hire a virtual assistant because it's just like this book is, I mean, obviously Word Slut was research heavy, but the research process of this book is just a little more intensive because all of the literature that I used to write Word Slut was kind of already there at my disposal. And all I really had to do was kind of like curate it, translate it, filter it through my voice, put my own little spin on it. But this book is way more like telling the firsthand stories of, of different people. And those are people that I'm having to find. And, you know, there are no, there's literally no literature. There's almost no literature on the language of cults and how cults from Scientology to SoulCycle use language to quote unquote brainwash us, which is like... Yeah little like elevator pitch that I'm using. So it's, um, it's definitely research heavy, but it's super fun. I'm just like looking to get a little bit of assistance, but anyway, so I'm doing that. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm working on writing and editing and, and doing drafts of a pilot for a word slut TV show that I just sold to FX, the network and studio after the word slut book came out. I ended up, to my dismay and delight, signing a TV development deal with FX to 
sort of adapt some of the concepts in the book into this narrative TV show that I came up with about this young language genius who um, kind of knows everything under the sun about language. You know, there are like TV shows about geniuses like Psych and The Mentalist, but she's like this um, 20-something female language genius who can tell everything you'd ever want to know about a person by hearing them talk for 35 seconds. She can, she's a super polyglot who can speak languages. You know, she's a freakish knowledge of slang and etymologies and dialects, but when we first meet her, she like doesn't have her shit together as a person and kind of doesn't know herself and know, you know, what her own desires are and, you know, her own, her own value in life. And basically she scores the career break of a lifetime working as this undercover reporter at this like hot, you know, juicy undercover media publication. And through the different assignments that she goes on, she ends up unlocking these different pieces of herself. Um, and I'd never written for screen or TV before, but um, I like signed with uh, this deal with an, an unbelievable team and an unbelievable mentor. And so I'm working with her um, to just like shape this new craft that I'm trying to develop. So yeah, so I'm working on the TV writing thing, which is fun. I'm like not putting a lot of pressure on it because well, I'm actually in a good place with it because I have this incredible opportunity to write this show that I feel passionate about for this amazing network, working with amazing people, but I have no preciousness and no ego about it because I know I, I can't possibly be great because mm -hmm. I've never so much as aspired to do it. No ego. If I do a draft of, of a script and it's anything more than abysmal, I'm like, great. But I, I, I don't presume that, like, skill. You're not going into it thinking, like, I'm going to write the best, like, screenplay. Not at all. It's like, I wrote a book. They liked the book. They know I have no experience screenwriting, but they like the TV show idea and the world and the characters that I came up with and, like, enjoy working with me. So, you know... And, and they were happy with my first draft of the pilot. It's just like, I'm getting, I'm just, you know, getting my feet wet and like yeah. learning the ropes. So that it's a good position to be in because like the pressure's off since this was not my original dream. And I have no ego because again, it wasn't my original dream and I like don't know what I'm doing and I acknowledge that. So yeah, that's been really fun. And then I'm also still freelance beauty writing. Mm -hmm. So I'm freelance writing for Birdie. And, um, like I freelance wrote a couple pieces for Bustle and Nylon and that stuff's been to, oh, and the, um, the overheard Instagrams, do you mm -hmm. know those? So the, that, those Instagram accounts, they put out, um, these sort of like satirical newspapers, mm -hmm. uh, like dragging different cities, <laughs> um, but in like a traditional newspaper format, they're pretty fun. And so I've been like doing some sort of like comedy satire journalism for okay. them, which has been super fun. But yeah, like basically, I mean, I like look around and I like can't believe how lucky I am. Just like living the dream, no job, but like lots of gigs. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so happy for you though. Like it's so like nice to see you like bloom and do your thing. Like, I don't know. It's just crazy. You're, like doing all of the things and I'm like, oh my God, how? Like, I, I don't know how. You really do need an assistant. I really just, 
just a research assistant would be great. Like mm-hmm. yeah. somebody who I can just delegate those really time consuming, smaller tasks to like transcribing and emailing people and finding yeah. experts and shit like that. But yeah, I mean, I really owe so much to you because oh my God. you interviewed me two years ago. I don't know how many people know this, but like your interview that you did with me two years ago on pure opulence is like what started this all because in it I mentioned that I wanted to write a book and then when I ended up sharing that interview after it came out somebody who had a literary agent that I knew but hadn't spoken to a long time read it and and like hooked me up with their agent and then like the rest was history so oh my god uh it's just like crazy how like the universe like works and how things just like fall into place well I've actually been saying you know how they say that luck is preparation meets opportunity I've been saying like I don't feel like I can take that much credit, you know, half of that equation is like chance, but, or I don't know if opportunity is totally chance, but like in my position, I really feel like every good thing that's come to me has been a combination of preparation, opportunity, and just straight up privilege. Like I just feel so fortunate and privileged in life. And I like, can't. I, as much as I would love to be like, yes, I worked harder than anyone else in the entire world that is why anything good has happened to me it's like well yeah i've like worked hard but you know so have a lot of people like i a lot of the good things that have happened to me were you know have to do with the fact that i like went to school for linguistics and i like got to study that and you know and i like got hired at these bougie beauty publications and you know not not everybody has you know is in a position where they get where they get access to those spaces so yeah I don't know this is like a tangent but I've just been thinking about like that that expression that like luck is preparation meets opportunity and in my case I just feel like it's there's a third prong to that you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely feel that. And I feel like for a lot of people too, and I think like, it would be it would be silly to be like, for anyone to be like, this is all, like I did this all, you know what I mean? I feel like in any circumstance, like luck is a factor, like opportunity is a factor, like privilege is a factor always. Always, always. And like, there are some people who have certain opportunities, but because they don't have the privilege to take them, they can't. Like, yeah have the opportunity to do um you know a bunch of unpaid internships but they can't take them because they are not in a position to be able to do that so I don't know I've just been thinking about that there are just a lot of people who like you know we love to hear the the success story of someone just like working so hard and Mm -hmm. that's that was the key to everything that came to them and like yeah, I mean, I, I like, you know, I, we, we do this hustle, right? Yeah. If you just can't accept a fate where at some point in your future, you're not doing what you love, then like, you gotta, you gotta do the hustle. And like, yeah. like, I've worked so many janky jobs. I mean, like, I know people who are my age, you know, in their mid 20s, who, you know, well, what's the story I want to tell? I know a lot of people who like got their start in media or in publishing or in entertainment working for like the best of the best. First internship was at Vogue. 
for whatever reason, like uh, there, there could be any, any number of reasons why your first internship might be a vogue, but like, I just had, I was just like such a noob and had no industry connections and was like not hip at all when I got into the writing world. And so like my first job, my first full-time job out of college, Lord knows I worked a lot of like really weird ass part-time jobs out of college. My first full-time job out of college writing was as an associate editor for an online beach lifestyle publication called bikini.com. <laughs> oh my god. I feel like you told me this the first time. Oh my god. Probably. And I just like always think back on that because I'm like, I mean, is that shit on my LinkedIn? No. In my bio? On my book jacket? No. But like, that that's true. <laughs> and why am I telling this story? I literally lost my train of thought. But I'm just saying like, not everybody has like a chic come up because like, you know, you gotta, like everybody's hustle is different. And my hustle started at the bottom. Bikini bottom. Not at Bikini Bottom. (laughs) I'm dead. It didn't really start at the bottom. It's not like my first job out of college was like, my first full-time job out of college was, I don't even know. At the same, I'm like, oh, Bikini.com so janky. But at the same time, like, woe is me. I had to work in media and write about luxury swimwear for four months. But I'm just saying, like, if you, if you dig deep, the beginnings of my hustle were just, like, not cute. I mean, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like people have, like, this image of what it's, like, what their career trajectory is supposed to look like. And, like, it's like, hey, go to school, get out of school, get a job, like, either work up in that job or, like, find another one. I don't know. It's just, like, you got to start at the bottom. Sometimes you do. And if you don't have to start at the bottom, like by all means, start in the middle, start at the top. Like that sounds great. Let me think. I was, I mean, I also had to start in LA. I feel if I, or I know almost for a fact that if I had started my career in media, publishing, editorial, whatever in New York, then I probably wouldn't have had to work at a place like bikini.com because there are, the media industry is just more centered there. It was my choice to move to LA and, you know, I sacrificed some things for that lifestyle choice. I don't regret it now. Like now I'm so, I'm just like so happy to be in LA. Just like in my house, like I'm in a house right now. Honestly, like can't picture you anywhere else. It's so weird. Yeah. Like, ugh, New York. I have to go there this weekend and I'm actually, I'm, I'm so happy about it because I love I love like dipping a toe into the fancy, elegant New York literary world. It just like feels so posh and like Harvardy. I don't know. It like feels so damn upper echelon. And so I'm going to New York to do this panel at the Brooklyn Book Festival where I'm speaking about um, feminism and language um, alongside fellow panelist Jessica Valenti like oh yeah I know which is just surreal and I'm honored and at the same time so glad that I'm only gonna be there for two days Ugh, bring me back to LA so I can be in the sunshine and like sit on my porch my swinging egg chair and write about cults maybe start my own on my porch I would join your cult honestly like I don't know what it would be but I'd be there Either, but like you're already wearing white. That's true. I've got, the, I've got like a puffy sleeve. 
puffy. You're, I mean, that's what it is. It's just the cult of puffy sleeves mm-hmm. working from home. Which I do. Yeah, it's just, it, that's what the cult is. We just drink a lot of plain LaCroix, unpopular opinion, but I don't like flavored water. It's the cult of plain LaCroix, white puffy sleeves, and WFH, working from home. I mean, that's... So we don't have LaCroix here. Okay, okay. I, we, just, we just don't have it, so I've never, I've never had it. I don't know. It's like so fucking overrated. It's, oh, for I, sure. Honestly, like, that, that is something that I actually appreciate about New York, is that in New York... Seltzer water is very unpretentious. It's just mm. like Seagram's bubbly water because we're all entitled to carbonation. I mean, no. you shouldn't have to drink flat ass water. Like, oh my God. Yeah, I have a soda stream machine like right there. See, soda stream, that's a lifestyle. We love that for you. LaCroix is just, that's the sad thing though, is that there's no unpretentious Seagram's seltzer water in LA. It's literally. Perrier or plain LaCroix, which like the title, the title, the the flavor is just called pure. It's LaCroix pure. Relax. I have this thing where I don't like water that tastes like food. Mm, yeah, same. And I also don't like food that tastes like water. So I don't fuck with like berry water and like peach water or cranberry water or any of that garbage i also do not fuck with iceberg lettuce okay honeydew like you know what i mean it's like food should taste like what about cucumber absolutely not Mm. no okay (laughs) there are certain contexts in which cucumber is acceptable but generally speaking it's just like i don't want my water to taste like food i don't want it to taste like water that's just me but in my cult there will be no cucumber. <laughs> no, no, no cucumber in the cult. Lots cucumber. of LaCroix, though. Yeah, lots of pure LaCroix. Cucumber water, however, mm. that, because cucumber just tastes like water. True. So that's fine. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not really a fan of cucumber. Like, I'd rather a lemon water over a cucumber water. Yeah, lemon water is okay. Although, yeah. I'm also that person who, like, I really enjoy for my, so I really like my iced tea to be really plain. Mm. Like passion fruit iced tea. No. Too much. Peach iced tea. Go fuck yourself. But passion fruit iced tea is basically like juice. I know. It's it's just like, I don't want juice. I want like a plain iced black tea, unsweetened, no lemon. I don't know. Human taste is astounding. It really is. My dad is a neuroscientist, and one of the things he studies is human taste. Fun fact. My dad, despite his lack of literary connections that could not help me at all in my career, is himself a very impressive man, says my mom. She, my mom is also a very impressive man. My dad discovered the like channel in your body that is responsible for making you feel hot when you eat something spicy. Oh. Fun, right? Neuroscience. I don't know how we got there. I'm so sorry. That's fine. That's fine. I feel like podcasts are made for rants. The, the ramble. They're Basically. Made for, it's a ramble cast. Yeah. So there was something I wanted to bring up because it blew my mind when I read it in your book. Okay. Chapter three. So there was an observation that you like kind of touched upon about um, men and women in conversations mm-hmm. and like women 
women's main objective in conversation to be to make to form connections yep and like that changed my world right changed my entire world like I don't know I just like looked inward so much and like saw my own conversational habits and like how I use conversation to connect with people and it usually comes in the form of like personal anecdotes right it's so interesting like that that point that sociolinguists have made is basically saying that generally speaking and this is a generalization and this is not something that men and women do naturally like from birth this isn't something that we're like inherently designed to do by biology but um it's learned learned but women basically when we engage in conversation it's to form solidarity and conversation happens on sort of a horizontal plane whereas men again generally speaking see conversation as an arena for like personal achievement and so it's a little bit more to establish hierarchy and it happens on a vertical structure Mm -hmm. vertical scale and um, that's why in conversations among men you normally see that they'll speak in alternating monologues where like someone will speak for an entire minute and then someone else will speak for an entire minute and there's not a lot of these qualities that we see in women's speech that are also by no coincidence often critiqued in women's speech like minimal responses and those are little units of speech like "Mm mm-hmm yeah oh my god you're right I feel you things like that also you get things like tag questions like oh my god that is that is completely true isn't it things like that which criticized as sounding insecure but really they they serve you know a a near infinite number of purposes in conversation Um, declarative questions also you know they more often than not serve these these really nuanced purposes that you know at the end of the day welcome people into conversation and and open up the conversational floor and yeah like personal anecdotes there are like so many other ways that this is done and actually like I went through volunteer training for this crisis intervention and suicide prevention life lifeline for queer youth where I volunteer now. And one of the like techniques for building rapport and establish em- establishing empathy that they teach in this training is to, or like for active listening is to give those minimal responses. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, you and you know there there's been evidence that linguists have found where you know men often interpret those minimal responses as um, you know rude interruptions they're they're evidence that you're um, per- actively participating in the conversation it's just that you know m- men and women are are socialized differently in this culture and it's it's not a bad thing that women have developed these really nuanced skills um, in conversation that allow us to to connect with one another it's really a beautiful thing it's just often misinterpreted yeah definitely I think like it just made me think like it just made me like examine my own how I speak to people and I guess I was kind of like huh what would it look like if I were to not like I don't know it kind of feels like a crutch sometimes and I'm like what would that look like if I weren't constantly like relying on personal anecdotes to like form connections with people 
It's a really interesting question. And like one of the things that I wanted to do with the book, whether talking about that or talking about um, use of gender neutral pronouns or talking about um, the history of some of our favorite and often most problematic gendered insults in English is to just like empower people with empirical information about language that linguists have discovered so that they can then make their own decisions. So about how they want to use it. So, you know, I can offer up this information and share these studies and, you know, let speakers know that it's not inherently bad to use personal anecdotes or declarative questions or tag questions or hedges. That's another one. Those are those quote unquote filler phrases like, like, I feel like, you know, well, um, that are again, often misinterpreted as signs of insecurity or um, a lack of authority or someone not really having thought about what they're going to say before they're going to say it when really a lot of the time those hedges serve the purpose of mitigating the face needs of everyone in a conversation when the topic at hand is really sensitive so which are really really important and without them speech can sound too robotic tactless etc i mean i'm sure you know so as an interviewer like your job and and I interview people for a living too. And like our job is to get people to open up to us and and to seem and to build sort of a relaxed atmosphere. And, and some of those linguistic features um, are really essential, but at the same time, and they're not inherently bad. However, if you decide like, Oh wow, like I am unconsciously using language in this way and I actually don't really want it to control me or I don't want my language to be so unconscious. What would my personality be like or what would my interactions be like if it were another way? And then you can try that and make your own conclusion. Being really conscious of my language just in general has also just kind of changed my outlook on things, especially in emails, like being more assertive in emails that's been like a big thing and like watching my use of like sorry and thank you and just things like that this amazing new yorker shouts and murmurs piece about the use of the phrase i hope you're well in the context of emails and how like it's basically like how we started this conversation about how are you small talk expected what is that called? What is that fucking called? Like an expression like that or a little phrase like that that's expected but meaningless. I Oh, Jesus. It's like a little piece of small talk that's kind of meaningless. One of your listeners is like, gonna, they're yelling right now. It's like a nicety. It's like a little nicety that you're supposed to say. Pleasantry? Pleasantry. Thank you, Jesus. Pleasantry. So it's like a little pleasantry that you're just expected to say. So that's what I, I hope your well is in the context of an email. Like so true. Opening a professional email and about to like eviscerate your colleague, but you literally have to start it with, Hi Beth, hope you're well. But yeah, I mean, like something that I talk about in the book is how um, you know, the the sound, the sound of authority according to most people's ears just more closely aligns with the sound of masculinity. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just like a little bit harder for women in a professional or authoritative setting to like navigate and balance those two things, like how to sound authoritative, but not defy the expectations of femininity so 
grotesquely that I'm just going to be perceived really, really poorly. You know, that challenge can make you like stare at a draft of an email and analyze how many exclamation points should I take them out? How should I rephrase this? Da, 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 over and over again. And it can be crazy making. But yeah, I also try not to be too hard on myself for like including too many exclamation points. But that's just my personality. Like I'm an earnest, enthusiastic bitch. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm a human exclamation point. So yeah. Yeah, no, but I, I pay attention to it too, for sure. And like, I've experimented, like we were sort of saying with, you know, what it, what it feels like to send an email with no exclamation points. And I will say like, it does feel kind of powerful, ironically, because an exclamation point is supposed to be a powerful like, punctuation mark. Yeah. But um, yeah, there is there is something empowering about sending an email with no exclamation points, but I mean, shit, I love them. So I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep. Yeah. I think like what I do is I, I alternate. So I don't have too many like sentences in a row that all have exclamation points. So I'll be like, hope you're well, exclamation point. And then I'll like two lines, no exclamation points. And then I'll end it with like, thanks so much, exclamation point. Totally, because I also think it is not unreasonable to want to communicate friendliness. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think friendliness and professionalism are have to be completely separate. No, but, they shouldn't. No. So, I don't know. It's, it is tricky. It is very interesting, though. It's like, am I including all these exclamation points and smiley faces just because society tells me that I need to be nice and that niceness is essential for being a woman (laughs) or like am I including them because I'm energetic as hell I don't know (laughs) yeah I've also I swapped out like sorry for the delay um and I've replaced it with like thanks for your patience oh I love that that's been like a nice a nice feeling like that sits well with me oh I love that because it's more gracious Mm -hmm. obviously less apologetic yeah Oh, I'm obsessed. I'm going to steal that. Thank you. Yeah, I just say thanks for your patience. Every time being like, sorry for the delay. Sorry for the delay. It's like... It's like you want to acknowledge that like... That, it, yeah. Two days since our last correspondence, I could have responded to you earlier. I didn't let me acknowledge that. But thanks for your patience is just... That's a much more gracious way of... Yeah, thinking. it's like it still acknowledges it, but also, like, doesn't. It's like, all right, I also have a life and, like, had things to do. Getting back to you. Thanks for hanging in there. Gets the job done, but it's more... I don't know. I, I read an article. I think it was because I read an article, and it was, like, replacing your sorries with thank yous. And that was one of them. And I was like, oh, hot tip. Yeah. I also think, like women are criticized so much for apologizing. Like It's, stuff, it's true. So much. And it's like, maybe apologizing is fucking polite. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Yeah, I don't think, you know, obviously we can use language and apologies however we like, but I think like stressing women out for, apolog- for apologizing. <laughs> it's literally punishing women for their own oppression. Taught you that politeness and deference is essential to your gender identity or your gender performance. And, but if you do it too much, you're letting down your gender because now you're a pushover. It's like, Christ. Yeah. I also like, speaking of Canada, heard someone say once that like, 
people in Canada apologize more and like nobody takes that's that. like a big that's like a like a big like Canadian like thing that pe- everyone's like oh like Canadians apologize for everything like Canadians are always like sorry yeah. it's true though it's true we yeah. do apologize a lot it's so funny though that Canadians like get this like rap for being so polite and so nice but like when you're living here it doesn't feel that way <laughs> No, trust me. I've met some rude as hell Canadians. Okay, for sure. Same. Most people I interact with. I was just on the phone with an Air Canada representative. That was rude. I did not hear one I'm sorry. No, I did once actually meet some really grumpy Toronto natives. Mm. Just sort of debunked the whole Canadians being ultra polite. But I think it's like people from Toronto are like the most metropolitan so like they're like the New Yorkers of Canada so they're the most like I'm in a rush I got things to do but if you go to like rural Canada like the nicest oh I'm sure it sounds great up there it is you gotta come I can't wait I mean yeah Montreal is on my list it has been for years I was going to go when I was living in New York my best friend and I were gonna do a road trip and then we fucked it up but yeah, I, I mean, it's wild. I've literally never been to Canada. So, well, other than to, you know, make a flight connection. But I'm, um, yeah, I'm, my boyfriend and I are just going to post up in Banff. We got a big ass lodge. We're going to just, you know, drink and make out and look at nature. And it's going to be, I'm done saying lit. <laughs> Is lit over? Have we canceled it? I haven't canceled it. I just like let my subscription run out like you know ugh, said it so much I'm just at first I said it in earnest and then I said it ironically no no first I said it ironically then I said it in earnest and now I'm just ready to be done with lit we've got to come yeah. up with 2020 is coming I think it needs to it needs to die it does it needs to die nothing's lit in 2020 what have you been reading that's what I want to know Well, I've been reading um, a lot of sort of just like research books that are important for my cult research that I wouldn't necessarily recommend because they're not like great books by any means, but they do have valuable information about some of the cults that I'm researching. I had to buy this totally out of print book written by a police officer in 2003 called Deadly Cults. I bought it on eBay for three cents. <laughs> oh my gosh. My dad is getting so much airtime in this episode. But my my dad, against his will, spent his three of his high school years in a cult in the Bay Area in the 70s. Oh yeah. And it was called Synanon. And I was just with my dad yesterday, and he gave me two books about Synanon. So I'm going to flip through those. Otherwise... Um, what am I reading? I started The Goldfinch. So, you know, just like picking my way through that brick of a book. Um, there's so much on my list. I mean, I really, I still, I I have to read Trick Mirror. Okay, I literally was going to ask you, like, have you read Trick Mirror? I haven't read it yet. I just like, I was really intimidated by the hype. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Everybody was reading Trick Mirror, so I was like, I can't, this this bandwagon is too full. Like, there is no room for me. I'm going to fall off. So I'm ready, I'm finally ready to, like, mosey over to my neighborhood bookstore and pick up Trick Mirror. I still have to read um, On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vuong. Ocean also just shared, he just shared a book on his Instagram that I want to read um, 
called Weather, a novel by Jenny Ophill. Awful. If her name, her name is spelled O-F-F-I-L-L. If that's pronounced awful, I love that. I love that for her. And then my, so I want to pick that up. These are like, I need to just go to, oh, maybe when I'm in Brooklyn this weekend, I'll like buy those books because there's so many indie bookstores in New York. And then my mom was just telling me about a memoir that she's obsessed with right now called Educated about this woman who grew up the child of crazy doomsday preppers. Oh, okay. And escaped. Um, and it has cult vibes. So um, yeah. I, I am including a chapter in my book on conspiracy theorists. So, cause that's, you know, cult adjacent. Doomsday preppers are like totally that. So yeah, I want to read that. Those, those are like on my list. I mean, mm-hmm. you know how it is when you're a writer, you almost feel guilty reading for pleasure because reading for pleasure you're like I should be writing but you have to read to write what are you reading so I'm halfway through trick mirror okay what are your thoughts so far it's good it's really good the essays are she described them as baggy Uh and they're they're pretty baggy like in terms of like length like each essay is like long and like she takes a lot of detours in each essay but somehow ties it all together. I love that. Let me just say, like, I fucking love that. I I have a pet peeve with essay collections where an essay, for the purpose of word count, I don't even know why. The off, the writer will cut it short after, like, seven pages. They'll, like, graze the surface of a topic and not go deep into it. And that leaves yeah. me so unsatisfied. Like, one of my favorite, I mean... I love Roxanne Gay more than anything, but there are a few essays in Bad Feminists that I feel like, oh, I just wish- Could have gone deeper. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, one of the, one of the things that I love, you know, one of, one of the first writers that I ever became just absolutely obsessed with was David Sedaris. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, the thing that I admired so much about his- about his essays that I admire to this day is how he would connect these seemingly totally unrelated topics to make a story just feel so much richer and more meaningful. And I also really think it's very um, elegant for an essay collection to have fewer, longer essay. Mm-hmm. Word Slut obviously isn't an essay collection, but like each chapter could sort of stand on its own. Yeah. And there are... 12 chapters and you know I liked that and that was important to me yeah there are like basically 12 20 page chapters as opposed to there being 25 10 page chapters and I just like think that that my personal taste is that that's more elegant um yeah essay collection by an LA writer named Megan Dom called The Unspeakable that I read when I was like 23 and that's just like 10 long essays like something I don't know, like very sophisticated and purposeful about that to me. So yeah, I mean, I did, I have, I have like scoured the Trick Mirror Goodreads reviews. So I feel like I sort of know what to expect. Do you have a favorite essay yet? So far, I think I've read three. How long do they go on for? Oh, like they're long. They're baggy. They're baggy. Yeah, she's even said in interviews, like she she can't believe that this book has sold so well because it's not easy. It's yeah. not. It's not. And it's not what I was expecting from it. Like, I think based on the hype, I thought it was going to be like a lighter, breezier read. Like, I was expecting like 
a Nora Ephron kind of like yeah easy kind of funny like essay and it was like it's it's not that but it's still really good I think we underestimate the difficulty level of books that people are willing to read like yeah I am so tickled that people are breezing through my book so quickly because first of all that's what I intended yeah but at the end of the day it is a linguistics book and the fact that people are like barreling through it and think it's you know delightful is just like it's amazing to me because the literature that this book started with is so inaccessible and is yeah. so, it's like dry academic studies about words and the fact that people are like oh my god this is so sparkling and fun and I read it in two days I'm like oh my god my job here is done but at the same time it does make me a little sad because like there is something that I like about the idea of writing a book that's hard so that you know people take their time with it because you take so long to write a book that if someone you know just like finishes it in a day you're like god damn it yeah oh my gosh but like I had posted on my Instagram story that like I was going to be interviewing you and this girl DM'd me and she was like I I took notes like do you want my notes (laughs) She did, I'm gonna ask her for she never sent them to me but I'm like I want to see these notes like said she like really like she read it she like wrote things down she highlighted things I'm like all right that's great I love that I love that I felt like you would appreciate that I really appreciate that and I like read some reviews some like very in-depth review that some guy wrote on his blog I don't even know how I found it but um just like some guy who reads a lot and writes a book review blog. And he said that, you know, there's no, there's a, there's no bibliography in the book um, or index, which was, I did that on purpose because I was like, okay, this is already a linguistics book that already feels, you know, kind of stodgy and inaccessible. The last thing I want is someone to like, is for, first of all, the book to be thicker. And second of all, for someone to like, open it up, flip to the back and be like, oh God, (laughs) this is like, this is, this is like some stuffy academic book. And like my footnotes, my footnotes aren't academic footnotes. Like my footnotes are, yeah, they're funny. And I took that from like, that idea was inspired by Mary Roach, who's my favorite Mm -hmm. science writer. Like her footnotes are really funny. And so that's what I want to do. But But the guy was like, there's no bibliography, not because this, writer is lazy but because word slut is a book that's meant to be conversed about not cited yeah that's true like there are so many big academic linguistics books that actually that's not even true there aren't so many but they do exist and those are the books that are meant to be cited but like mine and when people and i've heard a lot of people say this about my book is like it just feels like someone casually talking to you over drinks about linguistics yeah and that's what it's meant to be so what why am I saying this (laughs) I don't know anyway I need to read trick mirror um I feel like I'm finally it's just like what am I waiting for yeah no it's good it's good there's an essay called I think it's called always be optimizing and it's about women and our like obsession with athleisure and like our want to like make ourselves better yeah yeah but like she like took a bunch of turns with it and like went back to like when she was in the peace corps and then like also connected that to 
um, like bar and soul cycle and then like yeah all of it is great I love that I think I think I think about that all the time like how to connect seemingly completely unrelated pieces of media or pieces of content events to like prove the same point yeah oh god I feel like I'm gonna read this and feel like a little bit of a jelly bean because I'm gonna be like god damn it I wish I said this (laughs) oh my god I was listening to G on a podcast episode and I'm like she's so smart (laughs) so smart you know what like good for her she works fucking hard like she just churns out brilliantly written essay after essay for the New Yorker because like homegirl works at her craft me sit on this couch in Los Angeles and like wonder why people keep letting me write shit (laughs) oh my gosh no I like your book was amazing I'm obsessed with it everyone that I meet I'm like you need to read this book wow yes get me that shameless promo I for like the first speaking of shameless promo I mean you probably saw me do this for the first like three months after my book came out I was carrying a PVC purse yes I had one of those clear like trendy PVC purses and I would carry around a copy of my book in the clear PVC purse like wearing my book as an accessory if I'm not going to be my own billboard yeah and also like your book is bright yellow so like I'm sure people are like what's that yeah it's a cute bright exclamation point of a book do you have any idea what the cover is going to look like for Mindfuck Oh my God, no, I haven't even thought about it, but I am already like mourning that yellow will not be my signature color and, or maybe just like every book I write for the rest of my life will have a yellow cover. Or you can just like have a new color and then wear that color for months. I know that's what I'm saying. Like it's not going to be yellow anymore and that's going to be devastating. I think that yellow book covers are, like, having a moment. Because, like, Trick Mirror is a yellow cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of it. There are, like, several. Trick Mirror's orange. Is it orange? I feel like it's kind of, like, a mustard. No. It's okay. like orange. I'm wrong. All right. Well, shit. Anyway, <laughs> it's warm. Warm color palette. Warm. warm color palette. You know? Sunrise color palette. Huh. Orange. Okay. That's a vibe. So, now that you're, like freelancing are you still you're just are you doing beauty are you still doing interviews are you what's the yes so I think I mentioned that I'm still doing a little bit of I'm still writing for birdie Mm -hmm. and I'm writing for um the Sunday edit which is Sunday Riley's yeah yeah so I've still got my beauty I'm still like flexing my beauty muscle a little bit for them just because it's fun and it's like it's like pocket money, you know what yeah. I mean? I just to keep just to keep a foot in the beauty world because that's what that's where I was for so long. Yeah. And I have relationships with people, so like why not do it if it's easy? Yeah, and then I like am freelance lifestyle writing a little bit. Um I just wrote a piece for Nylon about like how I met one of my closest friends on like a kinky dating app. <laughs> so just like but it was kind of it was it was part personal essay part like meditation on millennial dating culture and how it's so it feels so meaningful and useful to have another like young 20 something woman who I can connect with about like 
are like about like the kink lifestyle or whatever because we're still like in a culture that even though it's becoming more accepting of female sexuality like we're still by no means there yet and it is still taboo so or especially like alternative sexuality sort of thing so it was about how like I like I have this love-hate relationship slash mostly hate relationship with dating apps apps except I did form a really like meaningful relationship on a dating app except it was a kinky threesome app and the relationship was a platonic female friend and something different it's a different something different like I normally I mean I I I never write about like love and dating Mm -hmm. Um, so that was just like something new but that's just like sort of stuff I'm doing on the side like kind of for fun and um so it feels like I have income coming in because the like you the other like huge gigs that I have which are the tv show and the and the and the next book like you get your money in these like big chunks and then you like put it in these various places and then you're not getting any more money and you feel like what I need to just feel like I have a little bit of money coming in yeah so that's partly why I'm doing it too (laughs) yeah for sure oh my gosh Uh, so much though like so much on your plate so much and get so little I mean like the thing about working from home which as you know is like you don't have to deal with any of the incredibly time-consuming bullshit that comes with office culture yeah like like, commute you don't have to commute you don't have to sit in on meetings you don't have to like leave for lunch and like try to figure out your lunch you don't have to like have coworkers coming up to you and bothering you like you just all that bullshit is not a factor which is amazing so I ended up feeling like I only work for four hours out of the day but the truth is that while I was working full-time I probably was only doing four hours of productivity there too and the rest of the day was just full of garbage meetings and that kind of stuff yeah for sure and how are you like managing your time now that you're freelance I'm not sure I mean well what I do is I have my google calendar and I just I used to have a separate to-do list but now my to-do list and my calendar are the same so like I basically just like dedicate different days to different things so like yesterday for example was a freelance day so Mm -hmm. I wrote a birdie story and a Sunday Riley story today today I actually didn't do any writing because I had like a bunch of errands and I had this and I'm getting a a drink after this with someone that I'm going to be interviewing for the book so today was kind of like that's the thing about working from home too is that your weekends can be wherever you want them to be yeah that's true I worked on a Saturday this week, so I'm not working today, which is a Wednesday, and, like, I can do mm-hmm. that. I, but at the same time, like, you can make your leisure time productive. So, like, I was on a long drive today. I could have listened to music, but instead I listened to that podcast about the pyramid scheme because, okay. like, going to inform my book. So, like, you can make your leisure time productive. Yeah, but mostly what I do is I just, like, segment, like, what days are freelance days, what days are pilot days, and what days are book days. Most days are book days because that's the project that takes the most time and energy. And then, yeah, and then everything else I just kind of like manage as it comes and look at my calendar and see what I can do. Yeah. I feel like time management is one of those things that it's like how, who, what, when, where, why, I don't know. It's. I don't know. I mean, certainly a lot of things get 
just totally unprioritized, like not even deprioritized, like unprioritized. Yeah. Like I, that's why my email inbox is a fucking shit show because I dedicate almost zero time mm-hmm. to coming through my inbox. Yeah. Like, would my life be more organized if I did take an hour every day to do that? Yes, but I don't because like it just, that's one thing that I don't do. Another thing I don't do anymore is work out. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like either. some people, no, like some people would be like, oh no, I can't take on that freelance commitment because like they've just segmented their time such that like working out four times a week is, is a non-negotiable. It's just like yeah. essential. But for me, it's like, I go, I'll go to yoga once a week. Like, that's it. Like, I'm not trying to, like, if I, I'll, I'll like walk around my neighborhood. Like, yeah. I, I don't, I, I wish I did work out. It's just that I don't. And that's sad, but um, I do do a lot of writing. So that's good. That counts. I mean, you're exercising something. I'm exercising my brain. I'm like so lazy that I barely eat either. Like, I'm just like on this couch. I'm not exercising. I'm eating like one massive meal a day at like 9 p.m. And that's kind of, I don't endorse this lifestyle, by the way. This is the true life of an author. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing it well. Gia, Gia Tolentino probably has her workout and nutrition routine on lock. That's why her essay. Yeah. She does bar. She said it changed her life. Does she? Yeah. Wow. Uh, something to aspire to one day. Gia does bar, so I want to do bar, basically. Gia, Gia wore army pants and did bar. <laughs> I bought army pants. Okay, I would I would love to wear some army pants, but I will not be doing bar anytime soon. That sounds mm-hmm. that sounds hard. Would you do army pants with like a, a nice like puffy sleeve? That sounds hella cute. I feel like I can see you in that. So cute, like little tomboy, like baggy cargo camouflage pants and like a crop top with a white puffy sleeve crop top yeah that's a no-brainer make it happen that's a cute ass outfit i'm gonna make that happen for sure tune in i on my ig oh my gosh your ig is like blowing up now speaking of is it i feel like i don't know really post no i just feel like did have you noticed a difference like since the book came out yeah, 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 a little difference, but I mean, it's the difference between four thousand followers and seven thousand followers. Like, yeah, it's a difference, but like, I, it's it's nowhere near even micro influencer levels. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you could get some brand deals. Actually, I am doing a a brand deal with Birdie. Mm, uh, okay this hair care brand. I I am getting paid to do an Instagram story, but on birdies. But I feel like we can make Amanda Montel an influencer. Ugh. I feel like it could happen. But literally, I only post on Instagram once a week because I can't bear to do it more than that. It's fine. We'll make it work. <laughs> That's not a good influencer make. My Instagram is really just me promoting my book. So I'm just, influ- I'm just touting my own wares. And that works. And that's the best way to influence, truly. Yeah. I just like post about my book. That's all. It's, it's astounding that people aren't, aren't unfollowing me at massive rates. 
because I'm I'm like obnoxious. It's just like I'm a, I'm a bad follow. I'm a bad follow. I disagree. Follow I strongly me. disagree. You'll get a new Instagram post of me slinging my merchandise, <laughs> wearing yellow, wearing yellow, half puffy sleeves, wearing, wearing yellow, holding wor- wordslet. Are you shook that I'm wearing like black right now? Yeah, I am. It's not the brand. I'm like, who is this person? I don't know her. No. I was talking about your book with Taylor Frankel. A cutie. She loves it. She's an entrepreneur. She is hella beautiful. She seems older and more put together than I am. Oh my gosh. Girl's like 22. Yeah. Canadian queen. A Canadian queen. Her skin is like always radiant. True. I mean, fuck. Does great work. Yeah, truly, truly. Shout out to Taylor. Shout out. Founder of Nude Sticks. Yeah. Love her. Love her so much. She's like the most supportive person ever. Like since the beginning, she's been like the biggest supporter of Pure Opulence. And I'm like, and like watching her like grow and do her thing, like Hilary Duff and Chelsea Handler invested in Nude Sticks. And I'm like, Oh my god, are you excited for the Lizzie McGuire reboot? Yes. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) That was my childhood. Like I know. Actually, as a reference point for my show, because there are gonna be some sort of whimsical, surreal elements in Mm -hmm. my show where you get like a window into the main character's brain. And a reference that I made a few times was like, imagine like an elevated sophisticated grown-up Lizzie McGuire with like the cartoon of her inner thoughts popping up on screen oh my People gosh say no more <laughs> that yes got that oh my god I love that I'm so excited now I'm like I want to watch this hopefully it really hopefully it goes you know hopefully it goes yeah, to I know yeah uh pilots are rough like it's a whole a whole thing yeah listen it's easier than writing a book I mean shit Books are a nightmare. But that said, um, by mine. <laughs> no, I love writing them. I really do. It's it's fun. It's a blast. I love a lifestyle where people just leave me alone and I can write about shit that I think is interesting all day long. Very true. I mean, that's kind of the dream, isn't it? I feel like processing all that information though and then like digesting it and like putting it into like words that are nice is like a whole a process oh my god it's hell it's it's a nightmare but we do anyway do you have weird dreams about cults um i don't think i have yet i've been watching a lot of true crime lately which is like not the same thing but like i just watched that i love you now die two-part series about michelle carter the like suicide by text case do you remember that no i don't this was huge in the u.s um like two summers ago, you could not avoid this news story about a 17-year-old girl whose boyfriend- Oh, yes, yes, yes. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You like convinced him to do so via text. So she was on trial for manslaughter. And the whole question was like, can you kill someone via text? Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, there's this just riveting two-part documentary about that case and about- Michelle Carter and her late boyfriend, Conrad Roy. I, yeah, just, oh my God, it's fascinating. It goes into like the whole backstory. Those two people were, ugh, 
it like really speaks to like millennial teen or Gen Z reality. Oh my God. Ugh. Cause they were both like, spoiler alert. They were both on um, antidepressants mm-hmm. and, you know, antidepressants in teens can increase your suicidal thoughts. She was, and just like the fact that their whole relationship existed digitally was fascinating. And so it's like, did she really understand the reality? They, they only ever interacted in person five times. Oh. Like, did it, was it even really real to her that there was, like, another person on the end of the phone when she was saying, like, kill yourself? She was also, like, obsessed with Glee and Leah Michelle and the Cory Monteith thing. Oh. Died. And, like, the Glee parallel, the parallel between, like, Cory Monteith's character being killed off in Glee because he killed himself in real life and everybody mourning him real life simultaneously with his mourning on TV was just like creating this blur between reality and fantasy that was evident in her. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Oh my God. So fucking interesting. So I've like had dreams about, and that's not the only true crime that I've seen recently. I'm just like on a kick. So I've been dreaming about that shit. Haven't dreamt about cults yet. Not that I can, but I look forward to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It'll probably come eventually when the hysteria kicks in. No doubt. Well, this has been a treat. This has been a time. This has been a treat. Truly. Um, Thank you so much for having me on this treasure of a podcast. I feel like this is the most unstructured interview I've ever done, but it's cool. We love that. It's a convo. Yeah, it's just because it's you. And I'm like, all right, I can't. You know me. I I can't sit here and be like stuffy and be like, all right, so. You did great. You asked hella questions. You asked so many questions. I've gone into interviews too. Oh, yeah. And you asked if I'm still doing those. And I am from time to time um, for Birdie. And for um, also, there's an American print publication called Girl's Life, which is like a, a teen girl magazine that's been around since I was little. And I've, I'm doing their interviews where I'm, like, interviewing teenagers, which is weird. Yeah. Anyway, sometimes you, like, plan out questions and you don't end up asking a single one because, like, that's just not how the conversation goes or that's not the vibe. And, you know, I've actually at this point come to, like, I'll come up with vague questions maybe 10 minutes before I get on the phone with someone. I've done that. Yeah. Because, like, I know from years and and dozens, hundreds really of interviews that I've done that like really the the conversation, if you're like forming a genuine connection with someone and you have information about them and you've done your research and you know who they are, like interesting shit will come up and you'll get the content. Very true. I think this was a success. I feel as if it was. I agree. Yeah. So what are your plans this evening? I am about to go get drinks with a friend from college who was my only linguistics friend. She was like, most linguistics majors, well, all linguistics majors are really, really nerdy. But she was really, really nerdy and hot. Like, so fucking beautiful and like, really good at, what class were we taking? Syntax which is like basically the math of language. And I kind of fucking sucked at it. And she was so good at it and so beautiful. So I befriended her. So I'm getting drinks with her and this woman that she's introducing me to 
who has things to say about cults, evidently. So we're going to get cocktails and talk about cults and language, and it's going to be fun. All right. We've both got a night ahead of us. We do. The night is young. The night is young. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on. It's always nice to, like, catch up. Cool. Well, I will see you on the internet. Bye. Bye.